The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Give your Bibles, if you would turn with me to John chapter 13. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You can use that and you can take it home if you'd like. If you don't have one, that can be yours. John chapter 13 is where we find ourselves this morning as we continue in the series that we're in. Uh, the life of Christ. We'll be in the Gospel of John for a while now as we continue here in this series. John chapter 13, we're going to focus on verse 1 through 17 this morning, looking at Christ washing the disciples' feet. And we'll really just walk through it together, verse by verse, phrase by phrase. Hopefully you're there. John 13, verse 1 through 17. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This really is a fascinating part of the life of Christ with his disciples, and I want to dive right in. If you look at verse 1, there's really a lot there in, in verse 1, and it says there that he loved his own and that he loved them to the end. And it mentions the time frame. I mentioned this last week, so I don't want to stay on this too much, but it mentions that the time frame is Passover. Passover is, is there, and this is very significant for the death of Jesus to die on the cross at the exact same time that the lambs are being crucified for the forgiveness of, of sins for Israel. And we just, we just see that representation so beautifully from the Old Testament to the, to the New Testament. And so it's very important to know that this is during the Passover. And so John mentions that again. And it says that the hour had come to depart to the Father. Jesus knew this, that the hour had come. We'd been, we've been talking about this actually for a, a few weeks now, how 
when Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead, he, he knew what that set in motion, that they wanted him dead. They even wanted Lazarus dead, in fact. And so Jesus knew that the time was coming, that it was fast approaching. And now where we're at now was just a few hours away. Just a few short hours away and Jesus would be arrested, he would be tried, and he would be crucified. And so he's spending this time in this upper room with his disciples, knowing that the crux of all of history was about to happen. The most important thing that would ever happen for all of humanity was going to take place in just a few hours. He was going to be the center of it. And he chooses to spend these last moments with those that he loves. I just can't imagine at all inside of me the anticipation and the thoughts of Jesus at this moment. I, I cannot put myself into his shoes. I, I don't think we'd be fair to say that we could. We, we can't say to him, I understand what you're going through here. We don't. We can't fathom that. But as he's about to face what he's going to face, the Bible tells us, John tells us there in the very first verse, that he, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, we got to look at what this means. He loved his own. The love that Jesus has for these 12 that he is talking to, these disciples who are in the room with him is such an uh, amazing love. Jesus getting ready to face what he is going to face, yet caring greatly for the disciples, for those that God had given him, these, these 12 in this moment. In fact, the next five chapters of John are all in the upper room, and it all shows this great love that Jesus has for his disciples and the care that he has for his disciples. I mean, if you walk through it just really general, here in chapter 13, he washes their feet. In chapter 14, he comforts them with his words. In chapters 15 and 16, he talks extensively about their relationship with him that never ends, that nothing will separate it. And then in, verse, and then in chapter 17 is one of the most beautiful pictures we have. We have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, praying to the Father on behalf of the disciples. I mean, that's really a special moment. And then he goes on to pray for us as well as disciples down the road in his high priestly prayer. And so we see this special love that he has for his own. And while this passage here, I think, speaks specifically to the 12, I think we also see a lot of truth in this for us today. How even today, Jesus loves us and he loves his own till the end. In John chapter six, verse 35 through 40, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall, shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, notice this, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. When we are saved by God's grace, we are his own, and he loves us to 
the end. So many Christians struggle with this. They think that they can lose that love. They think that it doesn't last eternally. You, you walk into these doors and then you walk into this sanctuary with your head down with some shame maybe for whatever took place this week or whatever might have happened as if, as if the Lord doesn't love you anymore because of something that you've done. That's just not biblical. It's just not scriptural. Again, I'm not saying we should live a life of doing whatever we please all the time and walk in, hey, I'm back, God, you know, you're welcome. Here I am, you love me, I love you. I don't think that's how we live our lives as Christians. We try to serve him and we try to obey his word, but we have to understand that he loves us to the very end, just like he's doing with his disciples. Because if you notice what it said in verse 39 through 40, it talks about raised up on the last day and how this is an eternal love. And he's trying to get this across to the disciples as well, because Jesus knows what the disciples are about to face. They're going to see him die, but they, he needs them to understand, I love you to the end, to the death, but beyond, to the very end. It's an eternal love. And Jesus loved them all the way to his death and even beyond that. Again, I, I see so many of us, and even myself at times, will struggle with this thought of thinking that God loves me based on my actions, if I read my Bible every day of the week, if I share the gospel with somebody that week, if I visit somebody who's sick, I get to the end of the week and you think, God, you really must be happy with me this week. I mean, that's what we think. You know, God, you, you really must be happy with what I've, what I've done. And we, we treat that, we treat our relationship with God a lot like we treat other relationships because the fact is that's how most relationships in our life are based. Are they not? Your boss is really happy with you if you meet your deadlines. And your boss is really happy with you if you can go and get some more sales. Your spouse is really happy with you if you do a little extra work or if you buy a little extra gift, right? Or if you do something a little extra special, all of a sudden your spouse seems to love you a little more or care a little more. Your children seem to like you a little better if you buy them a frozen Coke, you know, or if you, if you do something like this for them. All of a sudden, they seem to, to care about you a little more. Almost every relationship in our life seems to go that way, does it not? And so then we start to think, that must be how my relationship with God works. If I spend a lot of time with him, if I do a little extra things for him, he will love me more. That is a false truth. That is not, that is not true. God cannot love you more. He can't. He cannot, if you are his child, listen to me, he cannot love you less. Oh, you're gonna mess up, you're gonna fail. But the Bible tells us that he loves us to the end. And he loves us eternally. You're gonna screw up, you're gonna fail. But God's love never will fail you. It will never fall aside. It will never go away. As we get to verses two through five, we see that supper is over. And John throws in there that the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, we see that Judas is in the midst of this. And it's easy to forget that as Jesus is loving on his disciples, that the one who is going to betray him is in that group. 
is right amongst them. Yet what we see Jesus do is we see Jesus even loved Judas humbly. And he loved him well. This shows for us, I think, how we can love the lost. We know that the lost are amongst us. We know that there are traitors amongst us. We know there are people who think bad things about us because of our faith. Yet, if we look to Christ and how he handled this situation, so often what we see, especially with Judas, is Jesus constantly extending grace to him. Extending grace to him. Extending grace to him. Extending grace to him. Even though Jesus knew it's not going to change a thing. It's in his heart. He's going to betray me. He's going to be this person that has been foretold of. It is Judas. But yet he still continues to offer grace. In verse 3, we get a really good picture of the grandeur of Jesus, how, how big and how mighty he really is. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and he had come from God and that he was going to God. Wow, what a statement about Jesus, about this man of Jesus of Nazareth being fully God, the full deity of Christ on display right here in this moment. Jesus doesn't deny it. He's not shrieking back from it, but yet it's being lifted up. And he knows what's about to happen, knowing he had come from God, but also this, look what, knowing he was getting ready to go back to the Father. Jesus knew fully what laid before him, and he knew what needed to be done. And we get a glimpse of this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it's on the screen. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, notice this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. This is what's happening in this moment. It's set before him what's about to happen. He knows that he's going to have to endure the cross. He knows that he's going to have to go through this shame and what lies ahead. But yet we see in verse 4 through 5, all of a sudden Jesus gets up from the supper table. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, who's about to go to the cross, who's about to go to the Father to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God, what does it say he does? He rises from supper. He takes off his outer garments. He girds himself up. And he kneels down and he gets the nasty feet of the 12 disciples who are with him. And he begins to wash their feet. Now, this is a position that not even a Jewish slave would do. It was unbefitting for even a Jewish slave to get down and to wash people's feet. It was the Gentile slaves who would have this job. And I have no doubt that if Jesus would have asked the disciples to wash his feet, they probably would have done that because they saw him as their Lord and they probably would have done that. But to think of Jesus, their Lord, their Messiah, their Savior, laying aside his garments to wash their feet, this is something that is unheard of, but it is something that should sound a little bit familiar to us. Because in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, as Paul would write, 
to the church in Philippi. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but look what he does, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we really do have a good parallel here. As Jesus cast aside his garments, it's just like we see in Philippians of how he emptied himself completely to come humbly. We see it happening with our own eyes. The master kneels down before those he is teaching to cleanse them. And what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing to something greater, and we'll get to that here in a moment. But he washes their feet We see what great humility Christ had in his life. This servitude, this simple act of servitude, but the humility that is found in it. I mean, picture the gentleness that Christ must have had, the Messiah must have had, as he would grab the feet of that disciple and probably look him in the face and be rubbing his feet clean. I mean, imagine for yourself if somebody tried to do that to you. Now, it wasn't uncommon for them to get their feet unclean. It's uncommon for us. So that's a level of awkwardness that's not here. But to have the one who you believe is the savior of the world, the one who's going to come and destroy Rome and put the Jews back on the map is grabbing my feet and cleaning the dust and dirt off of them that a slave is supposed to be doing. It's a very intimate picture that we see here being displayed. It's a very intimate moment for Jesus and for the disciples. And it seems as if Jesus has made his way through a few of the disciples. And then the Bible tells us in verse six that he, it's Peter's turn, that he's about to get to Simon Peter and When he gets to Simon Peter, Simon speaks up. Peter speaks up as he does so often, right? And what does he say? He kind of asks a silly question. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? If I'm Jesus, well, yeah, I've washed all the others. What did you think I was going to do? Yes, I am. What are you talking about? But Peter is so astonished at what, what is taking place here that he asks, are you going to wash my feet Because it shows there's an embarrassment level here. It's a very understandable question when you realize the situation and what is taking place. Peter knew beyond a shadow of a doubt this should not be happening. In fact, it needs to be the other way around. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. I'm not the leader here. The leader should not be washing me. Jesus looks at Peter and he tells Peter, you will soon understand Peter, what is happening? This really has two meanings. In verses 12 through 17, which we'll get to at the very end, Jesus is pointing to how we as Christians are to live a life of humble service, that we are never to put ourselves before anybody else, that we always lay ourselves down at the feet of everybody. That's what we do. But also, it's pointing to the cross, It's pointing to what is about to transpire. 
what is about to take place, almost saying, Peter, if you think this is embarrassing, you're really gonna have a problem with the cross. If you can't take this, you're not gonna be able to take that. And so he's talking with Peter, Jesus answers, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter doesn't submit at this moment, does he? No, in verse eight, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. This will never happen, Jesus. I will not allow this. You cannot touch my feet. You see, Peter would not let this situation take place because he knew that it was wrong on many levels. He knew that. Based on society, based on everything, it was wrong. Jesus, you should not be doing this for me. But what Peter doesn't realize at this moment, and what I think we struggle with oftentimes in our life, is what Peter is doing is he's actually putting himself above Jesus here. He's actually saying, teacher, savior, Messiah, I actually know what's better than you do. You are not touching my feet. This will mess up your reputation. This is gonna mess up what people think about you. Now, this is a problem that the church has had forever. What are people gonna think, Jesus, if we say this? This is gonna impact what the culture thinks about the church. People might not wanna come in here anymore. They might think of us this way. They might think of us as weak. They might think of us as bigots. They might think of us as people who hate other people. We, we can't say that. There's, there's no way that we can do these things, Jesus. Does it not sound familiar? That's what Peter is doing here. Never shall you touch my feet, Jesus. We cannot be doing these sort of things. Well, Jesus in his great grace responds to Peter. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus says, you must be washed to be mine. This is a very important statement. I would say it's maybe the most important statement in this whole passage. Jesus tells Peter, if you are not washed by me, then you are not mine. You have no place with me if you do not let me wash you. You aren't mine. And so what does this mean? What is Jesus getting at here? I think what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you've never confessed your need for forgiveness of sin, we know this. For us today, sitting in his pews, if, if you've never been washed by Christ, if you've never looked to Jesus and said, Jesus, my life is completely stained and tainted with sin. I need you to wash me clean. Listen, if you've never accepted that, if you've never believed that, you have no part in Jesus. You might hang out with Christians. You might come here on a regular basis. Maybe you're even a better Christian and you bounce around from church to church to get as much as you can. That means nothing. It means nothing in your salvation. It means nothing in your cleansing. The only way you can have a part in Jesus Christ is to humbly submit yourself to his humble act of death on a cross so that you can be washed free of your sin, to be cleansed of your shame. That's what Jesus is saying here to Peter. And if you notice what Peter says next, Peter grasps it. Because Peter says, well then, Lord, don't just wash my feet, but also my hands and also my head. 
You see, Peter realizes his error in this moment. He understands what Jesus is offering, but he has an error again, and Jesus needs to correct him because in what he said actually is wrong. And so after he says this, Jesus says to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Jesus had to point out to Peter, Peter, you're, you're already clean. You've trusted me as your Lord. He knows that. He knows that Peter has trusted in him as the Christ, as the Savior. And he says, you don't need to be washed again. Just your feet need to be cleansed here. And what Jesus is teaching here is that we only need to be forgiven of our sins one time and it's complete. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to having that part in Christ, we only need the forgiveness and the washing one time. We don't need to open up our baptistry and keep re-baptizing people over and over and over again every time they commit a sin to, to show everybody, look, I'm getting cleansed again, I'm getting cleansed again. No, it's, it's a one-time deal. You're saved by the grace of God. He completely cleanses you, and then you follow him in believer's baptism to show, this is what God has done for me. He's cleansed me of my sin. But now there is a truth that remains, is there not? We still live in the world. Even though God saves us from our sins, we still struggle with our sins. We still fall and we still fail at times. But this is where the beauty of the gospel really lies. And sadly, I don't think a lot of us see the beauty of the gospel in this way. The gospel message is something that we need in our life every single day. Because God continually cleanses us. He continually forgives us of our sins. That's why Jesus would say in the Lord's prayer, right? They would say, Jesus, how should we pray? And within that, it would say this, forgive us our trespasses. Why would Jesus tell us to daily be asking for forgiveness of our trespasses? If he saves us once, we shouldn't have to do it again. No, we need to do it daily. Because just like if you take a bath, any, any of you guys go camping? Raise your hand if you go camping. You guys are weird. I don't do camping. I don't do camping, okay? I'm, I'm a sissy maybe when it comes to that sort of stuff. But you know how it is when you go camping and you walk to the shower house, if you're a real camper, I mean, maybe you don't do this, you just stay dirty all week. But you take a shower and what happens before you get back to your tent or your camper? Your flip-flops just don't do the job and you get sand all over your feet and you've got to clean your feet when you enter there. I mean, that's the picture that we have here. As we live in this world as Christians, the fact of the matter is the stain of sin still comes on us. We still struggle with sin. And so it is very important for us as Christians to remember on a daily basis to be going before God and saying, God, forgive me of my sins. But also understanding this, he has forgiven you of your sins once and for all, completely. Jesus doesn't look down at you and say, you know what, today was a little bad. Do better tomorrow and come back tomorrow and maybe I'll forgive you tomorrow. No. When we go to our father, 
through our mediator, Jesus Christ, on a daily basis, and we say, Father, forgive me of my sins I committed today. I believe the response we get from our Father is, I already have. I already have. I love you completely. I love you to the end. And so Jesus needed Peter to understand this. In my studies, one of the books that I really love to read, it's called The Suffering Savior by F.W. Krumacher. It's a really good book. I'd encourage you to get it. It's on, it goes in the life of Christ from Lazarus all the way to the resurrection. But in that, he says this. He says, there are many Christians who know of no other nourishment for their inward life than the moldy bread of long past experience. But no true peace results from this. Inward religion does not consist in a life of morbidity arising from the recollection of having once received the forgiveness of sins. Let me stop there for a second. There's a lot of Christians who live like this. Oh, I remember that glorious day 40 years ago. Jesus saved me. Well, what has he done in the last 40 years? It don't matter. 40 years ago, he saved me. Well, have you grown at all? 40 years ago, he saved me. I got my ticket. I'm going to heaven. That's, that's, that's not what this life exists of in the spiritual life. Notice what he says. Where a, real, where a real spiritual life exists, there is also constant activity, unceasing striving against sin, repeated humiliation before God and renewed experience of his favor. Were it otherwise, why should the Lord put into his children's lips the daily petition, forgive us our trespasses? He who is washed need not be again entirely washed, but only his feet and that continually. One of the great blessings of being a Christian is knowing that when we ask for our feet to be washed, Jesus is humble enough to wash our feet again and again and again. As we get to verses 12 through 17, the Lord shares with them what has happened. And what we see Jesus talking about here in this passage, he sits back and he asks them the simple question, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do this as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent is greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. <clears throat> what Jesus is giving us as an example here is what it looks like to love humbly. Jesus set for us a perfect example in what we, what we must do in our lives as we live this out. It is our jobs as Christians who've experienced the grace of God to live sacrificially for each other in the same way that we see Jesus living sacrificially for those who are his. But it's hard for us, I think, to love humbly because we understand that if we love humbly, oftentimes we'll be taken advantage of. When we love humbly and we love sacrificially, the fears that come into our life are maybe then I'm not gonna get to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish in my life. The goals that I've set for myself, I might not get to see those goals happen. If I'm laying myself down for other people all the time, God, then 
What about me? See, there's a deep fear here. And I would love to tell you that if you laid yourself down humbly for the people within your church, I'd love to tell you, listen, they'll never take advantage of you because they're gonna love you and they're gonna live humbly for you too. That's a lie. People in the church will take advantage of you. It will happen. You'll face it probably pretty regularly. But the goal of us living a humble life and loving people humbly is not in their response. The goal is to live how Jesus lived, is to love how Jesus has called us to love. We do this, again, not so that Jesus will love us because we know he loves us. We do this for the welfare of the church. We do this for the relationships that we have with other people. We do this because this is the life that God has called us to as Christians. He saves us and then he molds us and makes us to be more like Christ every day. And as he molds us and makes us to be more like Christ, what that looks like is we grow to be more humble in our service, in our love to people every day. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And what Jesus shows us here is that it works. As he would do this with his disciples, eventually they would get it. It would take a while. It would take his death. It would take his resurrection. But eventually the disciples would get it. And so for 2,000 and some years now, faithful Christians have been loving humbly. And God works through that. I've seen in my life personally This is something that I struggle with, but as I have been faithful to God to love people humbly, even if their response isn't the greatest, what I have found is the peace and the joy that God has put in my heart of being faithful to my Lord and Savior and loving people how I'm supposed to love people, God has really done some things in my life personally. He has gotten rid of some great selfishness things in my life. That needed to be pulled out. And listen, it's not easy when God pulls those things out. But man, it is very freeing when you are finally free of those things. You're not worried about that stuff anymore. Now, I'm not where I need to be. But I trust that God and his faithfulness will continue to be the potter molding me and shaping me. To be humble like I need to be. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I have the privilege of talking with people here and there and getting an understanding of maybe where they would be and maybe where their struggles would be. And it's very hard for me not to just come out and say, hey, you need to repent of this. Kneel down right now. This is what you're struggling with. But to try to very lovingly nudge them in that direction and trust that God will help them to see those things. I don't know where you are this morning but I know that we are made up of two groups of people. In this room this morning, there are those who have a part in Jesus and there are those who don't. That is how we can separate ourselves. You have to determine with your relationship with God where you are. I I don't know, I can't tell you. But I do know that if you're on the side this morning where you'd say, I I don't think I have a part in Christ. I, I have never humbly went to him seeking forgiveness of my sin that can only be found in him. That can change this morning. 
we sing that song, come those who are thirsty. Life is in these living waters. That could be very true for you this morning. If you would trust in Christ as your savior, believe on him and the things that he has said, he is faithful to save. And then it, you'll have the promise that he will love you till the end. For the rest of us in here this morning who we say, we've done that. I've been saved by the grace of God. I can't tell you how to respond to God's word. I can only tell you what he shares with me, I guess. But I see my need to love people better. I do. I see my need to be willing to sacrifice for my family, to be willing to sacrifice for those that God has put close in my life. I want them to think of Tim as Tim will do it if he can. He, Tim will love us how he needs to if he can. If it's in his possibility at all, he will do that. I, I want to be known as that, not, not so that I can be built up because then I believe I'm being faithful to the Lord. But over and beyond that, I think for those of us in here who are Christians, I think we need to remember this above all things this morning. Jesus loves us to the end. I fail to remember that at times especially when I don't necessarily feel the love I feel I should for my church or for my family, I start to think, oh, I'm just struggling and nobody, nobody really cares about me. Everybody gets mad at me. Everybody wants to turn their back on me. Nobody, nobody will listen to me. What, I, you know, you, you've been there before, haven't you? But man, it is so good to look at God's word and to be reminded, oh, but Tim, I love you to the end. No amount of stupidity that you can do will push me away. No amount of anger that you show will scare me and run me off. No amount of hurt that you may cause will cause me to flee. I'm reminded in God's word, Tim, I've, I've chosen you. I hold you. I love you till the end for eternity. And maybe, just maybe this morning, some of you need to be reminded of that, to refresh your soul, to revive your spirit that maybe has been a little moldy because you've been holding on to some experience from 30, 40 years ago, to feel that freshness again of the daily grace of our loving Savior, Jesus, which is provided for us because of his gospel message. I hope you'll respond to God's word as the Holy Spirit leads you this morning. We're gonna sing a song here in a moment, but I wanna pray. And then after prayer, I'll be up here if you wanna talk to me. I'd love to talk to you more. I'll be standing right here. Pastor Scott's here as well. Or you can respond right in your seat. Let's pray together. And then we'll close with the song. God, I am very thankful for the example that Jesus Christ has given us but also, God, I am very aware that Jesus didn't just come to this earth to live and to give us an example of how to live. But Jesus came to this earth to be the Savior and Messiah of the world that we must have a part of. And so, God, if there are people here this morning and they look to Jesus and they just try to emulate him, they, they try to live good, maybe how he did God, I pray that you would open their eyes this morning to see that that's a lie of the devil and that that does not save them. We are not called to be 
an example or live by that example of Christ. We are called to be saved by God's grace through Christ. God, this morning, I pray that we would be true to your word, that we would respond to your word. I pray for those people in here this morning who are struggling maybe with selfishness in their life, things that that they are struggling with, and it's hard for them to, to live humbly as they are called to do as Christians. God, I, I pray that you would take them through that process, that yes, it can be difficult, but God, that you would free them from that. God, I pray that as a church, as Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, that we would be sacrificial in our love to each other and that it would be real, that we would care how we need to be caring God, I pray for that lost soul here this morning that you would break through the heart of stone, that you would soften their heart, that you would open their eyes, open their ears to hear your truth and that you would save them by your great grace. And God, I pray that they would let us know that so we can praise you for that. God, I'm thankful for the gospel message that restores us continually. It's not just a one-time passive thing, but it's continual in our hearts and in our lives. God, help us to be excited about that. Help us to be joyous about what you've done and help us to be humbly obedient to you, to come to you each day, willing to have our feet washed and to grow in you more and more. God, we ask these things now in Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.